Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Abortion pill update. A federal U.S. appeals court has ruled that the FDA's fast-tracked approval of the deadly abortion pill, Mifepristone, was unsafe and has ordered for nationwide restrictions on the drug. We share reactions from the pro-life groups who brought this case to the courts. Doctors fight for life. In the years since the overturn of Roe, pro-life doctors have stepped up to save lives. Dr. Christina Francis gives us an update on how this has impacted their status in the medical community and how it has changed the way they practice medicine. On the Hill, we speak with Maureen Ferguson, who has the details on new comprehensive legislation that claims to do much more than protect life while in the womb. She also reveals important data on why women choose abortion, data the abortion industry tries to cover up. Breaking news from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals this week, where three judges ruled that the FDA should restrict access to mifepristone, one of two pills used in a chemical abortion. This appeal comes after a months-long back and forth in the courts. Pro-life groups filed the lawsuit last year, arguing that the FDA fast-tracked approval of the abortion pill while ignoring safety concerns. In April of this year, Judge Matthew Kaczmarek ruled in favor of pro-life groups and ordered that mifepristone not be dispensed through the mail. But at that time, the Supreme Court ordered that more deliberation was needed in order to release their own opinion and sent the case back to lower courts. Now, with this new ruling, from the Fifth Circuit, the case returns to the Supreme Court's docket. In the meantime, if a pristone remains widely available through the mail and in pharmacies. Aaron Hawley, senior counsel of Alliance Defending Freedom and one of the key litigators of the case, celebrated the ruling. Today, the Fifth Circuit rightly required the FDA to do its job and to restore crucial safeguards for women and girls including ending illegal mail-order abortions. The FDA will finally be made to account for the damage it has caused to the health of countless women and the rule of law by unlawfully removing almost every meaningful safeguard from the chemical abortion drug regimen. This is a significant victory for the doctors and the medical associations we represent, and more importantly, the health and safety of women. The American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, or APLOG, was one of the plaintiffs in this case. The group called the court's decision a victory for their patients. Dr. Christina Francis, CEO of APLOG, said in a statement, Over the past two decades, the FDA has repeatedly removed necessary safeguards on the chemical abortion drugs mifepristone and misoprostol. These deregulations have placed women and girls at greater risk of life-threatening complications, as well as coerced abortion by abusers and traffickers. As a physician who has cared for women suffering from significant complications from these drugs, I am grateful that at least basic safeguards are being restored. For more coverage and detailed analysis on this case, tune into EWTN News in Depth this Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern and Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. These efforts to save women from dangerous chemical abortions is just part of Aplog's work post-Roe. In the year after the overturn of Roe v. Wade, Aplog has been busy. In May, its board of directors invited the president of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists to discuss abortion. ACOG turned down the invitation, calling its pro-abortion stance 
Settled Science. This spring also saw the release of AppLog's new podcast, Caring for Both, a curbside consult series. The series dives into what it means to provide evidence-based, life-affirming care. I recently spoke with Dr. Francis on the group's latest efforts to expose the dangerous lies of the abortion lobby. Dr. Christina Francis, CEO of AppLog, joins me now with more details. Dr. Francis, thanks for being here once again. Few people have probably been impacted more by the overturn of Roe than doctors, especially OBGYNs like yourself. In your view, how has America changed in the past year? Well, Prudence, thank you so much for having me on again. It's really a pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, you're right. Physicians have uh have had to reevaluate for some uh, what their practice looks like, you know, if they were providing induced abortion before. But thankfully, it really has given our organization, AppLog, along with pro-life physicians across the country, an opportunity to really highlight how we've been practicing our entire careers, which is in a way that provides excellent health care to both of our patients, both moms and their babies, but also provides life-saving care when needed. You know, we saw after the Dobbs decision a lot of misinformation being circulated and unfortunately a lack of clarity from some organizations that you might have expected to provide clarity, mm. like ACOG, the American College of OBGYNs. And so this has provided an opportunity for APLOG to really step forward and be another prominent voice, not only in the medical community, but also in the pro-life movement, to be able to show how we can continue to provide excellent and life-saving sometimes care to our patients, along with respecting the lives of both of our patients. Of course. And Christina, in a recent update to your supporters, you mentioned that there's increased efforts to dismiss and silence pro-life doctors, despite the fact that you represent a majority of physicians who have made it their mission to protect life. Can you explain? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you're right in that we represent the way that most OBGYNs practice in that more than 90% of OBs, while they might not consider themselves to be pro-life, they actually don't do induced abortions as part of their practice. And so it's important that the evidence behind the reason for practicing life-affirming medicine be allowed to be heard. And you're right, earlier this year in March, we were disinvited, we were canceled from a very important conference that we've exhibited at for the last 15 years that is a conference for medical educators, those who are educating the next generation of OBGYNs. Right. And we were canceled specifically because we are pro-life. Even though everything that we had to present was evidence-based, they couldn't attack us on that. But ACOG, again, the American College of OBGYN, stated that we were disinvited because we were pro-life and that that disagrees with their stance on abortion. Mm -hmm. In response to that, we invited them to a scholarly debate. Duke University had agreed to host a debate to talk about whether or not induced abortion represents good medicine and, and whether or not it's good for our patients. And they declined to even participate in a debate claiming that the role of abortion in our patients' lives is settled science. And so there really is this push to systematically silence pro-life voices within medicine, even in for our midwives, they've been canceled from, um, from their colleges, the American College of Nurse Midwives from their conference. And so we see this attempt to silence uh, evidence-based voices uh, that are representing the pro-life position. And so we really see our the need for our organization to exist to be even more important now than ever. Wow. That seems pretty unconscionable. And 
On a brighter note, I understand Athlog has launched a new podcast. It's called Caring for Both, a curbside consult series. Tell me about it. Absolutely. We are so excited to have this weekly podcast now. Um, And for anyone not in medicine, what a curbside consult means is oftentimes those of us in medicine, if we have a patient that we have a question about, we may curbside consult another physician to say, hey, what do you think? What would you do for this patient? And so we really wanted this podcast to serve as a curbside consult for pro-life medical professionals as they face ethical dilemmas, as they face clinical dilemmas in their practice to talk about how do we think through that as pro-life physicians. So it's a great weekly podcast. It's about 15 to 20 minutes meant to be listened to, you know, going to or coming home from work. And it just continues with one of our big emphases at Applog, which is to equip not only practicing physicians, but also the next generation of pro-life medical professionals so that they can take great care of both of their patients. Mm, I love that vision. So excited to tune in. And speaking of the next generation, Dr. Francis, talk to me about what's next for Applog. Absolutely. So we are excited that we launched our our registration is live now for next year's uh, national conference. And one of the most exciting things that we do at that conference is provide full ride scholarships for medical students and residents to be able to come attend the conference, network with other students, other residents, but also network with practicing medical professionals who practice medicine from a life affirming perspective. And one thing that we've heard as feedback in the past from students who have attended is how encouraging it was for them because they oftentimes feel very alone in their pro-life position. And so it's very encouraging for them to know that they are not alone and that there's a way to to practice medicine from a life-affirming standpoint and that that's actually what's best for our patients and equipping them with the the research and the evidence that they need to be able to do that. Mm, Fantastic. Well, that's sure to be a wonderful conference and we are ever grateful for the work that you do at Applog. Dr. Christina Francis, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. New legislation supporting life in the womb and beyond has been introduced in the House and Senate, known as the Providing for Life Act. Introduced in the House by Congresswoman Ashley Hinson of Iowa and in the Senate by Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, it's been described as a comprehensive pro-family package. The bill seeks to expand resources that will help moms facing unexpected pregnancies to choose life and also aims to provide for families who have already made that courageous decision through expanded tax credits, funding for material resource centers, and more. Joining us now with more details is Maureen Ferguson, Senior Fellow for the Catholic Association and co-host of the nationally syndicated radio show, Conversations with Consequences. Maureen, thanks for being here. You recently wrote a piece in The Hill describing what the Providing for Life Act would do and why it's needed. Explain why you think it's legislation like this that we need to really bolster a pro-family culture. Well, I do think that legislation like this is really important, especially in the wake of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, because we've seen how democracy is a very messy process. But this is a piece of legislation that really ought to garner bipartisan support Mm. because it simply supports women who find themselves in a in a crisis situation while they're pregnant. And this is something that everybody should be able to agree on. And something that's given this legislation impetus is a recent study that showed why women are choosing abortion. And the key takeaway is that most women who are having abortions 
don't want to be having abortions. And about 60% say that they would have carried to term if only they had a little bit more emotional or financial support. This bill provides that. A full quarter of women say that they feel coerced into abortion. Wow. So, you know, how on earth is that at all pro-choice, that a quarter of women receiving abortions are, are feeling coerced. So this is the type of legislation that can help to build a culture of life block by block. And I think it's just the type of legislation that the pro-life movement um, should prioritize because the pro-life movement has always prioritized helping women. And we know that there's a vast network uh, of help out there for, for mothers and children. So this bill kind of just connects the help to the women who need it. Yeah, it's really astounding, this point that you make, that people who are pro-choice claim that abortion is the answer, but these women don't feel that they have a right to choose. Um, thank you for pointing that out. And and I'm curious, do you think it's it's more effective and a quicker way to establish a pro-life culture to be promoting legislation like this, as opposed to just pushing for potential laws that would ban abortion outright? Because obviously the goal is to stop these atrocities. Right. Well, I think legislation like this, it's sometimes referred to as pro-life safety net legislation. And there are other bills like it in Congress. There are lots of bills like this in the states. I think legislation like this because it supports women who need it, it helps people to imagine what a culture of life looks like. And I think that's one reason we've had some trouble on the political level, um, which is why I think we really need to prioritize bills like this, because it helps people to imagine what a culture of life looks like. Mm -hmm. It actually provides support for for women to avoid the tragedy of abortion. So it literally saves lives. It saves women and children from the tragedy of abortion. Yeah. And because it changes hearts and minds, it then enables us down the road to make more pro progress in terms of legislation, protective mm. legislation. Very insightful. Maureen, what's the role of the Catholic Church when legislation like this is proposed? How can we influence those in the political sphere who have the power to enact these laws? Well, the Catholic Church was preparing for the overturning of Roe versus Wade with their program called Walking with Moms in Need, which I'm sure you've highlighted yes. on this program. So many parishes across the country have been doing the legwork here, um, you know, on the parish level, finding people to provide this support that's needed. Um, so the Catholic Church really has been leading on this. Of course, we all need to do more. And the the Bishop's Conference here in Washington, D.C. has a great lobbying team that um, tried to push these legislative initiatives on Capitol Hill. And I know they prioritize legislation like this. Hmm, very interesting. Maureen, is there anything else that you'd like to add about this legislation before I let you go? Or just kind of the state of the pro-life movement in general now after Roe, what our call is? Well, I, I guess I just feel like one of the toughest obstacles to us is what's referred to as the reliance argument, that the other side just argues that women need abortion to be able to succeed in their careers or finish an education or hold their jobs. So I think that 
legislation like this helps to counter that because we know that women, that, that this, you know, the reliance argument, it's essentially underestimating women. Mm. We know that women are strong. We know that women are resilient. And pregnancy does put women in a more vulnerable situation. When you have a newborn, you're more vulnerable as a mother. So we just need um, to provide that little bit of help at this key time of life to help women feel emboldened to make the choice that they want to make. This study showed that two-thirds of women who had abortions say that the abortion violated their own beliefs and their own preferences. So women are choosing abortion when they don't want to. So legislation like this just helps women to make the choice that they want to make mm-hmm. and avoid the tragedy of abortion that they really, you know, they don't they don't want to be walking into an abortion clinic in the first place. Right. Maureen Ferguson, thank you for explaining the details of this legislation and thanks for joining us today. And now for some more headlines moving our nation and world this week. First, in Peru, activists are using horrific cases of rape to justify and promote abortion. The latest case is that of a young girl identified as Mila, who was allegedly raped by her 41-year-old stepfather and is now pregnant. A hospital in Peru denied Mila an abortion on August 4th. And now the country's Ministry of Women and the United Nations are teaming up to do everything they can to make sure the life of her unborn child is ended. Though most abortions are classified as a crime in Peru, lawmakers added a provision to their penal code in the 1920s that allows for, quote, therapeutic abortions if the life of the mother is at risk. Those who perpetrate abortion in other instances could face a prison sentence. A pro-life congressman in Peru, Alejandro Munante, is sounding the alarm on the case and warns that the abortion lobby is working to expand access to abortion by classifying the procedure as therapeutic. This month, the World Health Organization launched an abortion app to equip and encourage healthcare providers to end the lives of as many children as possible via abortion. The app is designed to be used as a, quote, tool to analyze specific patients' information and determine the best treatment for them. But the treatment it suggests seems to limit, seems to be limited to finding them the best way to get an abortion. The World Health Organization states that the app can be used to schedule abortion appointments, referrals and follow-ups, and is meant to streamline the process for women and their doctors. And finally, an election update as we inch towards 2024. This week, Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. told voters at the Iowa State Fair that he would support a federal law that limits abortion at 15 weeks and about face on the issue for him. But hours later, his campaign retracted the statement, telling us via email that he, quote, misunderstood the question and always supports a woman's right to choose. And in Ohio, it's been more than a week since the state's pro-life setback at the polls. Pro-life groups claim that outsiders misled and confused voters leading up to Election Day. Meanwhile, Democrats are filling the mainstream media airwaves to claim victory leading up to 2024, saying it's indicative of how abortion will sway important elections next year. Cincinnati Archbishop Dennis Schnur spoke out in a letter to the faithful saying, some may insist that the Catholic Church should not be involved in politics. However, the defense of life and care for women compels our participation in this critical moral issue. Coming up, a pro-abortion Democrat in Congress says that pro-life Americans have a values issue. I speak out. 
And we have the details on a new book that was released on the Feast of the Assumption, aimed at sharing the truth about women's roles in society. This after the break. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to the show. A pro-abortion Democrat in Congress recently claimed that pro-life people in the Republican Party have a, quote, values issue. That's this week's Speak Out segment. Congresswoman Tina Smith, a former Planned Parenthood executive and current Minnesota lawmaker, recently appeared on MSNBC and said that pro-life Americans have a, quote, values issue. Take a listen. You know, Republicans don't have a, a message problem here. They have a values problem because they are not on the side of most American voters when it comes to abortion rights. That's actually an excellent point. Not a message problem, but a values problem. These two continued on to say that people who want to protect life are out of touch and celebrated the fact that pro-abortion activists are working to circumvent pro-life laws that have been advanced since the overturn of Roe. These statements aren't just authoritarian in disregarding the views of half of the American people. They also represent a moral travesty that we're seeing play out in real time in American politics. The idea that people who want to protect human lives have a values issue, while the rest of Americans who support the death of innocent children are the quote-unquote normal ones, it's proof of the impact of years of legal abortion and the legacy of Roe. In a culture that's increasingly devoid of truth, it's vital to remember that abortion will only end if people begin to see it for what it is. Lives shouldn't be legislated away, just like stoves or cars that run on gas. We must set the precious value of human life above these things. It's key to winning the battle for lives. This week, the Catholic Church commemorates the Assumption of Our Blessed Mother into Heaven and encourages us to look to Mary as the perfect example of femininity and motherhood. On the Solemnity, a new book hits shelves that explores the ways modern feminism has led women astray. In the End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us, author and scholar Carrie Gruss looks behind the curtain of the feminist movement. She sheds a light on the lies of the movement's most prominent leaders and how feminism has left women erased rather than empowered. Carrie joined our program after the anniversary of the overturn of Roe v. Wade. We talked about her new book, Feminism in the Pro-Life Movement, and the slew of so-called women's marches that popped up across the country to commemorate the anniversary. We're joined now by Dr. Carrie Gress. She's the editor of Theology of Home and an author. Carrie is also a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and a scholar at the Catholic University of America's Institute for Human Ecology. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. You have a new book coming out in August. It's called The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. An interesting title to be sure. And the women in these pro-abortion crowds last weekend, they claimed that they're feminists. But we know that their position on abortion wounds women so deeply. So talk to me about how you address that in this new book. Yeah, well, I think it's a it's a huge question. It's one that we've been really grappling with for about 50 years now. But the, the fundamental issue, and feminism really started with this question, was how do we help women, which, of course, is a big question. But the, the, the way they wanted to answer it was by making women a lot more like men than women. Um, and so abortion ends up becoming 
really just vital and essential for kind of working within that narrative. And this is one of the reasons why they fight for abortion so much, because abortion is really what they believe levels the playing field between men and women, mm. allow, you know, frees women up from what's been called the drudgery of, ch- of raising children. And um, so it just feels incredibly um, important to them as a movement. This is why they're, they're fighting so hard for it. Sure, sure. Now, of course, that's, um, you know, creates all kinds of problems across the board when people have that kind of understanding of what abortion is and, and how it what it actually does to our children and our, our families and our homes and our, our general lives. Right. And given that the direction the feminist movement has gone in, do you believe the solution is reinventing that feminist movement or do we need to leave it behind altogether? What's the path forward? Yeah, I think that's a great question and a really challenging one because I there's so many people that have done great work in feminism that I agree with, but I think it's become an incredibly damaged um, term. Nobody really knows what anybody means by it. It's very vague, and I think we're we're leading people into all kinds of intellectual confusion by continuing to use it, um, especially when you start looking at the roots of it. Even the first wave, which was that's something that I cover in my first book that I didn't cover in in previous books. So I think that that is actually a much healthier way to move forward is to just drop it all together and all the baggage that's associated with it that usually has the form of the occult or free love or this idea of smashing the patriarchy. So um, there's a lot that we're freed from if we we find new language to talk about being pro-woman. Right. Makes a lot of sense. And and Carrie, chants from this weekend's Women's March, so-called Women's March, included things like abortion is freedom. Talk to me about how that's such a mistaken notion of freedom. Right. Well, I, I mean, again, around the 1900s, you had this shift in the rhetoric about motherhood. And it's really remarkable to see how frequently the word drudgery is used. Mm-hmm. And um, we really view it as a kind of enslavement because this is what we've been told for 100 years you know for really 50 years we haven't said anything good about motherhood and so it feels like it's something enslaving when that's what we've been told for so long and that's how we have to be empowered by being free from it um so that's the the general push of it and why we're seeing that rallying cry and and why women you know see this as such an important issue Mm -hmm. it's such a tragedy that it's looked at as a burden um and carrie you wrote a book some time ago titled the anti-mary exposed rescuing the culture from toxic femininity and you talked about some of this in that book you explain there that mary is really the antidote to all of the problems that we see with modern feminism. So how can we as women imitate our Blessed Mother in this increasingly anti-Mary, anti-woman culture? Yeah. Well, I think the big thing is really to first figure out who she is. I think so many of us think of her or can think of her in very saccharine terms and very superficial terms. Um, But the reality is, is that what she is, she's the mother of God and she's so humble and imitated him. And that's really where we understand how happiness comes about is in the imitation of Christ and the humbling of ourselves and serving others. And, you know, this is the remarkable thing about what we're seeing with feminism is it's not serving others, it's serving self by and large. Um, the focus becomes comes upon ourselves. And we know that's absolutely a recipe for being miserable, you know, being stuck in sort of this narcissistic whirlpool. Um, so Our Lady offers us a way out of that by saying, go to my son and saying, you know, these are the the virtues and the values that 
Christianity has espoused for 2,000 years, and there there really have been very few things that have supported and helped women better than the church throughout history. No other religion can claim that um, the way that the Catholic Church has. So I, I think we have all the answers that we need, and it's just a matter of sort of breaking free from the confusion that we've we've been offering women for for over 200 years about what it means to be woman and pro-woman. Right, right. Well, I appreciate that insight so much, and I'm so grateful that you were able to join us this week. Thanks again, Dr. Carrie Gress. Thanks so much for having me. Carrie's book, The End of Woman, is now available on Amazon. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget, you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, now X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.